and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. Broadcasting from the Morton studio today, I'm Darren Hefty, soon to be joined here by my brother Brian, who's on the road today. We're going to be talking about micronutrients. We get a lot of questions, really, each week throughout the season about micronutrients and their importance. We look at a lot of soil tests, we look at a lot of plant tissue tests, we look at a lot of manure and uh, other additives you may put out in your field. We look at the tests for those too, and some of them have some micros. We get a lot of questions around how much is enough, how much is too much, and man, do I really spend money on micros if I'm still working on NPK and sulfur in my field? So we'll tackle a number of those questions. We'll also have our phone lines open throughout the show today at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can call us or, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. All right, Brian, uh, driving around in the country, certainly a lot of lot of stress this year with heat, with dry weather, with some storms that have passed through the area. What are you seeing out there? Well, first of all, I'm driving through northern Nebraska, so if I lose you, <laughs> the uh, cell phone reception, a little questionable in this region of the country. Uh I will tell you, I've been in a bunch of fields today, and I've seen rolling corn now this afternoon. Where I'm at right now, it's 98 degrees. Haven't had rain in a while. It's rough. But that said, the crop looked great this morning, so it's a defense mechanism for that plant to roll itself up. It's trying to reduce moisture loss. Don't get too worried about that. What did concern me this morning that I saw, though, was salt. So... excessive rates of manure hurting some fields this morning. Also saw a little bit of Callisto carryover into corn. Uh, You know, a lot of things have happened because of this dry, hot weather, and we just have to manage things as best we can to get ourselves through this. Not much we can do. Fortunately, there is some rain coming in the forecast, so hopefully that comes to fruition. Yeah, it sure cures a lot of issues, and that's one of the challenges in farming is that we think about, well, I've done this certain practice on my farm for many years, haven't had any problem with it, without really considering the risk that we're taking on some things, like you mentioned, HPPD products. I talk to a lot of farmers when we go through their herbicide program, and I learn, man, they're using two times as much, if not three times as much HPPD as we would ever consider using on our farm in a single season. And then you end up with a year like this where we're dry and those high rates, especially with late applications, could be a real concern. Yep, absolutely. So already yesterday, I had sent something out to a group of agronomists I do training with, and I just said, all right, time to be done with Flexstar. And the reason why is 10-month rotational concern to corn. So in other words, if I want to raise, let's say today is June 17th, well, 10 months from now is April 17th. Quite frankly, I'd like half my corn in the ground by April 17th next year, which means I'm already too late for Flexstar on all those acres. And let's keep in mind, that's just what the label says is 10 months. Use a little common sense. If you're in, a, in, in an extreme drought area like we are right now, are we really going to get rid of that herbicide in 10 months? Doubt it. I mean, maybe we will, but I'm just going to be really cautious on where I use the product, when I use the product, and then also what kind of rate I'm applying. 
Yeah, there's just there's just so many things to think about. Brian, we've got a number of questions here, uh, late season or mid season in these crops, and one of them around flowering and soybeans. Well, a number of them around flowering and soybeans and uh, white mold, cobra, uh, you name it. Just just tons of different ways that you can go at this point, but the beans are really small. And some of the growers say, man, if my crop is really small, even though I'm already starting to flower, does that change the rules of the game? Well, what rules of the game are you talking about? Well, you don't have a whole lot of plant out there for spraying a fungicide, yet here we are at R1, and that's normally for a lot of guys when their white mold program starts, and also if you're going to spray Cobra, it's time to get the Cobra out there too. I got you. All right. So your your question is on the white mold. So that was the very first stop I was at today. The guy uses lots of manure. He's had a white mold history, and he was asking also, what should I do? He was planning to do Domark here in another week or two. And I said, yep, that's probably what I would do is wait a week or two if you want to spray fungicide. But I said, here's what we've done. We've taken this week of the year, like right before flowering, or just as you see the first couple flowers in the field, and we've hit the spots where we've had white mold before. Because if you look back on your yield maps, I'm sure it's only in a small percentage of your total acres. Like on our farm, I figure it's roughly 10%. So the last couple of years, when we've been really worried about white mold, we've gone to those 10% of our acres and spot sprayed Cobra at six ounces to the acre. Now you can use the generic, you can use Phoenix that's safe in Cobra, any of them, it's fine. And it is a reduced rate versus the full rate for the herbicide. But all you need is six ounces. They're showing for fungicidal benefits and that only costs $4 an acre. So if you're only going to spend four bucks and you're only going to do it on 10% of your acres, it's like, absolutely, I'm doing that. However, we just talked about that on our farm yesterday, and I said, yeah, I'm not doing that right now. You have to have conditions where you're going to grow mushrooms. White mold starts as a mushroom in the soil, then it shoots spores out. Well, if you don't have conditions that are good for growing mushrooms, then there's, don't, I mean, don't waste your money. But I will say this, they're talking for us, a chance of one to two inches of rain on Sunday. So where I'm going with this is, all of a sudden, we could go from, oh, my goodness, we are so hot and so unbelievably crazy, to next Tuesday, they're talking a high of 66 degrees. And that's, uh, you know, a day or two before that, they're talking we might get two inches of rain. Well, next week, I might say, wow, um, I kind of need to do the Cobra now. So where am I going with this? There's no chance that we're going to be too wet to spray for many days because we've had almost no rain in a year. But I am saying, you know, you got to think about this cobra thing. If there's almost no chance for white mold, skip it. Same thing with the fungicide. But if you think, hey, it's going to rain, then by all means, get her done. Yeah, things can change. You've got to adjust as the season goes on based on what conditions are, and you certainly don't want to continue to do the same game plan year after year. Now, our topic today is micronutrients, and if you're working on building micronutrients in your soil or just maintaining them, we've got some information for you coming up right after this. Stay tuned. A history of success means proven performance, but let's call performance what it is, profitability. And boosting yours, no matter what the season brings, is the goal of DeKalb brand corn. Backed by exclusive genetics, whole farm solutions, and unmatched dealer support. Let nothing shake your perseverance. Ask your dealer how DeKalb brand corn can help you realize a future of performance. 
Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at Ag PhD, we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an Ag PhD Young Farmers Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmers Field Day, visit agphd.com. Pentair Hypro 3D nozzles are your premier choice for fungicide applications. Syngenta fungicide application field trials have shown Hypro 3D nozzles provide a yield advantage of up to 10% over other nozzles, maximizing the return on your fungicide investment. Learn more at pentair.com slash hypro. Get an extra semi-load out of your grain bin. The end zone from Farm Shop MFG can increase your stored beans moisture from 10 to 13%. On a 20,000 bushel bin, that's a free extra semi-load. Visit farmshopmfg.com for more. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking about micronutrients on today's program. And Brian and I have been accused a lot of, oh man, you guys really hype up these micros. And I would drive by fields this year when it's super dry that have good micronutrient levels in them. And I would think it'd be a little hard for you to argue against getting those micronutrients built up in your soil. We we really see improvements in stress tolerance, but we see we see yield gains every year by having the right amount of micros out in our field. So it's something that's important to us when you pick up new ground. That's one of the things that we're focused on. I know we've got some new ground that that uh, we're in year one on, and and it's. I'm not expecting they're going to do the best in the drought year, that's for sure, until we get things in balance. Got our friend Stephanie Zelenko on with us right now with AgroLiquid. Stephanie, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. All right, talking micronutrients today, and I, I want to start with this because we get this question a lot, Stephanie. If I'm having an NPK or sulfur problem and I'm short in some micros, what would you do first? My answer is always I'd fix the NPK and sulfur first and at least get what your crop needs for this year. And maybe I'd just put a quart or two of a blended micro product in the furrow and start with that. What, what do you think about that for a recommendation? Absolutely. I agree completely. You know, your N, P, and K usually are going to be the big player. Now, you know, that's where we're going to focus first. But again, go back to that soil test, because if you have one of those micros that's really limiting, you may, may be able to cut back a little bit on that phosphorus or potassium and still get away with it if you have good soil levels and then be able to, you know, jump in and address that micronutrient need in place of that. Yeah, it's one of the things that Brian and I have seen over the years, and it's something we talk about a lot, just getting a complete soil analysis where you can actually see where your micronutrient levels are so so you can make an, a judgment call. Because so often we see growers that don't have micros listed, or maybe they just 
tested for zinc and nothing else. When you look at those micronutrient tests over the years, what have you seen, Stephanie? Are you seeing one or two players that, man, it's always zinc or it's always boron? Or or is there another one that you'd say, man, th- these are some key ones we should be watching out for? So it's pretty geographical, but I would say boron probably the number one that I see always deficient. I think it's just really hard to build and maintain that boron level just because it does move, you know, it's at risk for leaching. So boron tends to be the number one that is always deficient. Like I said, the rest of it's kind of geography related. You know, manganese is probably a close second. Um, zinc in those high corn production levels also, you know, tends to come up pretty frequently. All right, so let's talk about boron then for a minute, because there's a lot of information out there saying, oh man, if you overdo boron, it's a bad, bad thing. But we talk to farmers all over that are applying boron on a regular basis. Maybe they're putting it out several times during the season to spoon feed it, or or they're putting a big dose out. I know on some of our heavy ground, where we've got lots of organic matter out there. We've put several pounds on at a time and been fine in our dry climate. What do you think about that? I know I always make you nervous, Stephanie, when I'm pushing rates and, and pushing you for that. But for, for growers that have light soils, is it okay to do it multiple times? And for growers with heavy soils, what do you think about building? Well, I like to build. If you can build, you know, that's a good option. Um, Again, I think it's hard to build boron, so spoon feeding is, you know, my approach I tend to take. We work with a lot of sandy soils, so that becomes a little bit more relevant. And I think, um, you know, high rates are okay if your soil allows it, if your environmental conditions allow it. And then your method of application also plays a big part. So now that we have the split and furrow applications or the tools like conceal that can, you know, drop boron close but not necessarily right, you know, in that seed furrow, that allows us to put higher rates out there uh, so that corn crop can utilize it longer in the season, but we don't have to worry about that injury. Because I have seen, you know, white corn from boron toxicity, um, and so that is still a risk, but I think placement of that boron is a big factor in how much you can get away with putting that down at one time. Okay, how about zinc? Because here's one, I'd say of all the micros, we probably get the most discussion going around zinc, that farmers seem to be pretty convinced that zinc makes a difference in their crop. And and certainly with the water regulation function that zinc has in plants this year, zinc's a big, big deal. How early do you feel we need to get it out there? And uh, what do you see going on? What's working really well for growers trying to manage zinc? I like zinc in furrow, um, especially when it comes to that relationship, like you said, with water. It's important for that water retention side, but it's also really closely related to phosphorus. So if you have levels of excess phosphorus, you know, you see some zinc tie up. So having that out early is going to help ensure that you don't have any zinc deficiency. You can come back with a wide drop application or foliar, but my preference is getting that zinc out as soon as you can to make sure that crop has it right from the start of the growing season. Boy, you sure hit it on the head there with the relationship with phosphorus and zinc. And I, I like to tease Brian. I, I always say that we utilize the moron theory with our fertility sometimes where, oh boy, a little bit's good. So let's put some more on. And I remember Brian picked up a new piece of ground and it was really low in phosphorus and his budget maybe was a little more limited when he was getting started farming than it is now that we're 20 or more years into it. And he said, you know, I'm going to, I'm just going to spend all my fertilizer dollars on phosphorus this year and let's try and get that thing fixed. And I said, man, if you do that, I bet zinc is going to flare up just something fierce. You're going to see zinc deficiency. Oh no, not with one application. Well, I think he put 
I don't know, 400 pounds of map or something out there and no zinc. And sure enough, what did we see? We saw zinc deficiency all over in the field. So you're right about that. There's no question there's a, a big relationship there that we've got to watch. Okay, how about other micros? Because we do talk a lot about manganese. That's one we've struggled with on our farm. What do you think about that one, and, and how can we get that in? It seems like there's a big difference in the form of manganese that you use. There is, you know, and manganese is one of those more challenging micronutrients to get a consistent response on. I like to, especially, you know, in Michigan, we deal with one part per million soil test levels, and I'm sure that's just very generous of the lab because they don't want to put a zero on the report. <laughs> yep. But, you know, we're doing a couple applications in furrow, and then we're coming up, you know, on glyphosate-tolerant soybeans with multiple applications throughout the season, just trying to, again, that spoon-feed approach to make sure we're constantly supplying that crop with that manganese. And, you know, soybeans, it's a really critical nutrient for them, so we need to make sure, you know, they always have that deficiencies and those low levels show up really quickly. All right. How about copper then? Because I know for us where we saw a, a copper issue on our farm was on some of the side hills and, and places that had historically had erosion over generations. And, and we saw zinc issues in those spots too. It seems like it's one that can hold up in the soil a little bit if we get those levels up and protect it with, with good farming practices. What's been your experience there with copper? Copper is a hard one for me. Um, I've seen a little bit of deficiencies, and more frequently, I think, as we're pushing those yields, we'll see it more in those grass crops, wheat, or corn. And I think that needs to be managed with a dry fertilizer program to kind of build those levels rather than a liquid program. You know, there are some, you know, our Micro 500 has some trace amounts of micro er, uh, copper in there. That's going to help with maintaining levels. But if you have a true deficiency, you know, you need to get other forms of copper out there. And that's one, you know, foliar has the potential to burn and cause some injury. Um, it can also cause some injury in furrows. So you have to be, you know, really careful with those applications to make sure they're done correctly. That doesn't cause more harm to the crop. Yeah, you're right. Foliar copper, we've we've definitely seen some issues with that over the years, so we're pretty cautious there. Okay, so let's just say that I, I talked to a farmer now, which I can almost guarantee I will within the next few days, who says, I'm short in several micros. Can I foliar feed a blended product? What about micro 500? Is that something I could foliar feed right now? Absolutely. You know, we've done a lot of work on both soybeans and corn with micro 500 foliar. Uh, we see really good responses, you know, depending upon what specific micronutrient you're trying to target, you know, we can add in those individual micros. A pretty common practice for us on soybeans is doing micro 500 with manganese, just because we want to address that low manganese level as well. And then it has that synergistic benefit of having those other micronutrients in that complete package as well. Yeah, micronutrients are definitely something you have to pay attention to on the farm. We're talking with Zef Stephanie Zelenko here with AgriLiquid. Stephanie, thank you so much. Really appreciate the information. Look forward to talking to you again soon. You're welcome. Have a good day. If you're interested in talking about micros and you've got an agronomic question, you can give us a call at 844-44-AG-PHD. And, of course, any agronomic question is, is fair game. doesn't have to be about nutrients today. But we'll talk more about micros coming up right after this. Stay tuned. Weed control without the BS. That's more time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's near zero volatility with unmovable principles. 
With the Enlist Weed Control System, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Your soil, your season, your edge. Make the new three-point Soil Warrior Edge from Environmental Tillage Systems your strip tillage system. Because you don't get to choose the condition of your soil, the Soil Warrior Edge is engineered to handle whatever's in your fields. And that same durable engineering goes the extra acre when that's what you have to do. The new Soil Warrior Edge three-point mounted strip till system. Learn more at SoilWarrior.com. Do you need to replant soybeans due to cold temperatures, heavy rains, or another weather event? Weeds don't seem to care, and you have limited options for last-minute weed control. This is when you turn to Spitfire Herbicide from New Farm. Unlike other Phenoxy herbicides, Spitfire can be applied up to seven days before planting. Fields treated with the dual active power of Spitfire will benefit from weed control that will ease planting and help your beans establish a good stand. Spitfire from New Farm, here to help. Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high yield toolbox. Talking micronutrients on today's Ag PhD radio program. Thanks for li- for listening to us. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and we're also taking your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head out to dry California. We've got our friend Paul Borges with us. Uh, he's a crop consultant out there. Paul, are you guys getting any moisture at all? No, just heat. A lot of heat. Yeah, we're starting to get California weather here, too. It's been just hot, 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 and dry, and that's fun when you're in California. I don't know about South Dakota. I don't think we adjusted that very well out here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you guys have a humid hot or just a dry hot. We're pretty dry heat out here, but uh, yeah, we just know it's coming, and it's here now, so 
Okay, so so talk to me about some of these nutrients then, because this is the challenge that we've got in the Midwest, where when it gets dry, we have a hard time getting nutrients into crops through our heavy soils. How do you do it in California? Are the soils light enough you can still push it through the soil with just a little bit of moisture, or do you foliar feed? How do you get nutrients in there? Yeah, most of the places around here, we have irrigation, so we have a little bit of flexibility what we can do and the heat or the most important ones is potassium to help the, tr- the plant perspire and so right now we've been for the last two weeks been pushing potassium foliarly and irrigation wise on all of our crops from silage corn to grain corn to uh trees and even the vegetables it doesn't take much potassium on those but that's one of the main ones potassium and then zinc would be the second one to help with, with the heat stress, and then uh, it's, it's big-time irrigation management. Okay, let's talk about that just a little bit. Now, we're, we're focusing on micronutrients on today's program, but you brought up potassium, and you talked about foliar feeding. We get a lot of questions from farmers all across the country. They're foliar feeding with K, and they're seeing leaf burn. Do you see leaf response necessarily, or are there different forms of K that you're looking for? Yeah, we we... Around here, foliar-wise, we haven't seen much burn. And most of our stuff that we're using is uh, either potassium nitrate or uh, agro's surecane. Probably the two biggest potassium foliars that we use on most of our crops. Uh, usually we find stuff that we've, we found different uh, forms of uh, spreaders can make a little bit of a burn on some of the crops. But we get a little ding here and there in the corn. But the corn grows out of it. And the trees will have a little bit for a little bit, and then they don't. It doesn't defoliate the tree or anything, but it will leave some tissue marks on the on the plants. But nothing. I haven't seen nothing that's hurting any crop this year. Okay. Well, you mentioned you mentioned zinc here helping with heat stress tolerance. I know zinc definitely helps with water regulation in the plants. So, how do you try yeah. to do that in most of the crops you're working with? Is this a an early season application or something that you continue to apply through the season? Uh, depending on the soil test, if it's very low, it's all season, small shots all season, and we'll build it up in the fall. But we 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 know it's going to get hot, so we start. Uh, in May, gearing the plants up to uh, be ready for the heat in June. But sometimes May could get hot down here, so we make sure we try to make sure all the micros are in its place because every micro has a position, and when they're all together, they work great. So we, you know, our we take foliar samples on the trees in May and vegetable crops throughout the throughout the growing season, and we're we're just now doing corn right now, and. We try to adjust those before the heat comes because we know it's coming. So we try to gear up as early as we can to get that plant prepared for the heat coming in. All right. Now, you mentioned taking some some, uh, plant tissue analysis. How does that correlate to soil tests? We just had a question come in yesterday, and a farmer had taken grid soil tests, and right at those same grid points, he was pulling his tissue test and seeing some nutrients that were at okay levels in the soil, just not getting into the plant. Do you see a correlation where you've got irrigation of a deficiency in a soil test for sure means you're going to be short in the plant, or or is there no correlation? No, there's correlation to it. I mean, it's sometimes it'd be be a minute that is showing it's a little under. Most of the times it's it's showing that it is deficit. Let's say potassium, for example, 
we know it's definite in the soil. It's going to be definite in the test. And we make sure we take our soil test, our, I'm sorry, our tissue test prior to any foliar or any kind of application. And on our, all of our leaves are washed at the lab because I want everything off. I just want to know what's in that plant. I don't want any dirt or anything to skew it. But even like in the zones where we've zoned fields off to compare the, the tissue test, it does correlate with the soil sample. If it's short, it's going to be short. And we know if we know it early enough, then we know we have to to apply that nutrients, whichever one it is, early you know as early as we can, so that plant could do what it needs to do. Okay, so I, I know on some of the soil tests that we look at, we're looking at zinc and boron and copper and manganese. Uh, what are some of the micros that you'd say don't get looked at enough? Is it those main big ones, or is it others like molybdenum or or uh, nickel or some of the different nutrients that you hear about yeah molybdenum is one thing we see in alfalfa fields around here that will add a little bit to your response and manganese is probably manganese is probably the second one that's that's being uh not as used as it should Well, I would agree with that on our farm. The manganese has been the, that's been the challenge. I think of all the micros, that's been our toughest one to get in through our heavy soils. Do you have any tips yeah. there? Is it more, is, do we need to foliar feed and supplement that way? We've done a lot through the soil so far. Yeah. As you're building through the soil, I supplement through, we, we do a foliar, even on corn, like Roundup Ready corn. I try to go, if the farmer's willing to go, we'll go early with just a foliar spray before we need to spray for for weeds it just depends some dairymen the weeds are coming right with the corn so it works out we're going to make a pass early on in the corn i want that manganese in that plant because it's not going to be as available as it is on conventional corn but the earlier if you know what the mechanism that's going to be hurting the most with manganese helps with set especially in corn and i mean it's pretty much all crops you want seed and melons and stuff manganese and boron are the key ones so we're trying to grow the seed and corn, so manganese is very important. Boron, boron would be the other one. Okay, yeah, we do hear a lot of talk about boron, and I, I love that you're including manganese in that comment, or that uh, uh, discussion as well. well. One thing you mentioned there, Paul, talking about dairies and the, the feed that you're raising for dairies, do you see a difference in feed value with micronutrients? If you get micronutrients going well in the soil and in the plant, that's got to go through to the feed, doesn't it? Do you see differences there in gain? Oh, oh yes. No, I, you know, we got, we got farmers that test their silage pit every two weeks, and and we or we have stuff in, in silage pits or in bags. And the fields we did a lot of work on, we'll try to put into a bag so we can isolate those to make sure we're seeing what we're seeing. So then you'll apply the program over the whole place. And every time we've done a test and put it into the bag, he sees more, the nutrient, the nutritionist sees more nutrients in that, in that food source because of, you know, we added sulfur, we added the bore on the manganese and whatever that field was missing to help that crop get through. And it shows up, it definitely shows up in the starches and in the value of the feed. Interesting. How about in the tree crops? Do you see the micronutrient levels making a big difference there? Oh, yes. This, it, pretty much every crop, if you put the right amount of nutrients for that crop, you'll see the bang on the other end. In trees, we get the manganese levels up to a certain point. And manganese and walnuts is very important. You'll get more set for sure in walnuts. Almonds will help with the bloom to get the set for more bloom. And, I mean, it's... it's 
it's a combination, like I said, of every. It's all the right amounts of all those the minor nutrients with the major ones to get that that uh, healthy, healthy and great tasting crop. And managing these micronutrients is really critical for all crops. It's one of the reasons we love talking with Paul Borges. He's a consultant out in California because he works with so many different crops. Paul, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Look forward to talking to you again soon. All right. You have a good one. You too. The last comment that Paul had made there is flavor. And I think this is a big one. We talk to a lot of gardeners as well that say, you know, my produce tastes better than what I'm getting in the store. Or I like, I'd like it if my produce would taste better. And we talk about sulfur. We talk about some of these micronutrients and their impact, not just on the quality of the food and the tr- nutritional value, but also on the taste. So I think that's pretty interesting. We'll talk more about micronutrients and answer some of your questions coming up right after this. If you've ever wondered how the Farmall got its name, here's an abbreviated list of the jobs the Case IH Farmall can do. Baling, cutting hay, feeding, hauling, loading, pulling, raking, cleaning barn, mixing feed, fertilizing, mowing, chopping, seeding, clearing, irrigating, furrowing, cultivating, hitching, digging, emergency tow, harrowing, hoisting, leading parades, excavating, grading. <sighs> Let's make it simple. This tractor does it all. So no matter what you're doing, can do comes in red. Farmall. Learn more at caseih.com farmall. If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at Ag PhD, we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an Ag PhD Young Farmers Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmers Field Day, visit agphd.com. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice. With powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. When it comes to soybean diseases, the longer you wait, the more damage you do. 
Stop the clock on white mold and other yield-robbing diseases with Approach Prima Fungicide from Corteva AgriScience. Approach Prima Fungicide quickly surrounds the surface of the plant for rapid absorption, then moves throughout the plant, providing full protection of each leaf and stem, even those that have yet to emerge. Uptake occurs on day one, nearly twice as fast as the next leading competitor. For more information, visit approachprima.corteva.us or your local crop protection retailer. Always read and follow label directions. listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Talking about micronutrients here in the Morton studio on today's program. And I know as we build our fertility programs and try to take ground that we haven't farmed before or haven't farmed very long and get it up to a high productivity level, micronutrients are certainly in that discussion. Brian, as we look at the micros on our farm and I think about all the different micros we've applied, man, we've, we've put on just about every one of them that we've been talking about on today's program. I know zinc levels we've been building up, boron we've been building up, which a lot of growers are interested in the boron piece and how we're able to do that here. I know we're working on, we've got copper in pretty good shape. Manganese would probably be the one we're struggling with the most, but uh, zinc and boron are the ones we get the most questions on. So you want to talk about that, about how, how we've built those up and maintained them? Oh, I want to talk about all of them. So, I'll give you at least a point on every single one of them. Let's start, since you brought up uh, zinc and boron, let's start with those. And uh, with the boron, I would just say it's needed most in plants when you get to around the flowering stage. So like for corn, that'd be around tassel, soybeans, obviously flowering. But with boron, if you have light soil and lots of moisture, then boron is somewhat leachable. It's not as leachable as nitrate. Uh, let's start with this. Okay, if you're familiar with how leachable nitrate is, they say sulfate is about half as leachable and boron is a little bit less leachable than that. Okay, so that puts it into perspective, all right? So for us, where our ground is frozen for probably four to five months out of the year, we only get about 22 inches of total annual precip counting the snow and um, we have really heavy soils. Our odds of losing our boron are really, really Us, we can go out there and put boron on in the fall, and it's still going to be there come spring. It's going to be there the next year, and it's probably going to be there five years from now. So we've been working on building our overall soil boron levels, and that's fine for us. For some people, they're like, I can't do that because I have sand and too much water and me. Well, you know, if you're in that situation, you just have to approach it a little differently. You can use foliar a few times during the season, maybe four to six times during the season. So, like, literally every pass you make across the field, throw a little more boron on. So, I, if I was in that boat, I just, every single trip I'm making, I put a very low rate of boron on and, and solve the problem that way. With zinc, the number one factor is look at your phosphorus. You want your zinc roughly. And I'm talking roughly, and, and it all depends on the test, but approximately 10 to 1 phosphorus to zinc. So when we've done that on our farm, that's where we've maximized. I'll just tell you this. For three years now, we've looked at one-acre grids on our farm and compared not just, okay, how are our fertility levels. We've looked at yield every one of those points, too. So we, have, we farm over 3,000 acres. And so when we're looking at that over three years in a row, now we have some great great data so for example for us more boron 
means more yield. With the phosphorus to zinc deal, if we get that way out of whack, so if we're 30 to 1 phosphorus to zinc, or on the other hand, if we're 3 to 1 phosphorus to zinc, we find our yields are going down. Our yields are maximized somewhere in that 8 to 1, 10 to 1, maybe even 15 to 1 phosphorus to zinc kind of level. Darren, you brought up manganese, and that's where one thing where these farmers I was talking to down in Nebraska today, I told them the same thing. I, I'm not confident in our soil test. I'm not confident in our tissue test because all I know is this. Almost everything else we're doing on the farm where I was just talking about our soil test and correlating it to yield, I can see there's a line. So in other words, more equals more yield or in some cases more equals less yield. Okay, So then we have a good idea where to go. With manganese, I don't care how high the level is. We're just not seeing any yield difference. So what does that tell me? That tells me, um, number one, either we, we probably don't have a very accurate soil test, which I don't believe we do. I'm going to look a lot more at the Malik 3 test. Uh, I believe that's a better extraction for manganese. That's number one. And number two, maybe it's actually right. Maybe our manganese levels are sufficient and everything else is more of a yield limiting factor. Okay, then we move to iron. The number one thing I'd say there is if you want more greenness in your plant, you want more iron. So take a look at your iron levels in your soil. You want good iron levels and, and do some experiments and, and just try a little more. In our region of the United States, we don't have big issues with iron or anything like that. But nevertheless, iron's important and it's really important for greenness. Um, Okay, and then let's see. Like I, your, I like your lawn, Brian. You can green up a lawn with sure. iron pretty easy. So you see a lot of lawn fertilizer products will include some iron in it. And if they don't, add a little bit of iron in your yard and just see what happens. Uh, copper. Copper is one that's also tied to phosphorus. And that rate, ratio, I, I can't tell you exactly. For us, it's somewhere around 30 to 1 or something. But copper is kind of considered the disease nutrient. So if you are chronically having different diseases on your farm, take a look at your copper levels. Uh, I mean, very commonly, like in wheat, for example, we find that higher copper means you just flat out have less disease out there and an overall healthy, healthier plant later in the year. So especially where you have high phosphorus, you've got to have high copper to go along with it. And then the last one I, I would mention is molybdenum. You don't need much molybdenum. We're usually shooting for one part per million. Uh, so it's not a lot, and it's an extra test on most soil tests. But I'd at least check your molybdenum, especially if you've done everything else, where you feel like, boy, I got my levels good, my pH is good, I, my major nutrients, my micronutrients, everything's pretty good. Well, then I'd definitely be taking a look at molybdenum. Oh, and by the way, molybdenum is one of the few nutrients that's more available in high pH than it is in low pH. All right. Uh, a lot of talk about micros, and we may have a few questions in the Ag PhD mailbag on that as well, but let's dive into some Ag PhD mailbag questions. It's the mailbag! All right, Brian, we talked about drainage tile, and believe it or not, we got a bunch of questions. The first one came from Martin, who says, I've got sandy, loamy soil. Our tile lines are three-inch tile, 30 feet apart, two feet deep in the ground. If I get an inch rain three days in a row, which typically happens to us in the fall, I end up with a lot of water sitting on the field just before the six-inch main and a lot of plants turning yellow there. What do you think is happening? What do you, I, I don't know if I'm sure on what do you mean by just before the six-inch main. 
So let's just say the main's on one end of the field and you've got three inch lines running towards it, yet by that main and around that main, there's still water sitting on top of the ground. It's not soaking in yeah. well. Yep. Well, I think that tells you you need a bigger main line, sounds like to me. So the main line just isn't, isn't big enough. I don't know what else to say. So, you know, you just have to run the math on that. I'm not exactly sure how that pans out, but it, it just sounds to me like you don't have the capacity or something's plugged up. Yep, there could, there could certainly be uh, some compaction, too. Not letting the water flow through the soil might be another thing to think about on that end of the field. Uh, get this one from AM. Oh, you, hey, wait oh. a second. When you talk about the compaction, look hard at your calcium levels. Get your calcium levels above 65%. That often helps. Okay. Next one also on tiling comes from AM who said, I don't have any farmer or don't have any issue with farmers in styling, installing tile lines onto my property. However, I do have issues with them damaging my yard and not leaving it as it was prior to digging. Now I've got to look at, at all the stuff sticking out of my front yard every day and it's just terrible. You know what, AM, you're right. We need to do a good job, and especially if we're working with another landowner, farmers need to do a really good job trying to restore things as much as they can. I know, Brian, you've talked about just boring underneath roads and those kinds yep. of things so you don't have a long-term problem. That's what I was going to bring up. So just yesterday I was looking at somebody doing construction in the town we're in. They dug a hole in the right-of-way, and they have the right to do that. But I was just telling the guys I was with, I'm like, when do you think that's going to look like normal again? Five years from now? It's going to take forever. So sometimes we're just ahead to do boring as opposed to digging. And yeah, it costs more, but at least stuff is going to keep looking good. Yep. Thanks for that comment. We really appreciate that. AM. We're going to dive more into more of these Ag PhD mailbag questions when we get back from this short break you're listening to ag phd radio and our phone lines are open if you have an agronomic question at 844-44-AG-PHD each year brings new and unique challenges to farming and your operation needs to constantly adapt to meet them that's why at AgBiome, we're working every day to bring you new and better solutions. Microbial-based solutions that protect your crop and help it reach its full potential. To learn more about how we're doing it, visit agbiome.com. That's A-G-B-I-O-M-E.com. AgBiome, feeding the world responsibly. Partnering with microbes for human benefit. Help keep the toughest, most resistant diseases out of your fields with Lucento Fungicide from FMC. An exclusive novel premix of two modes of action delivers broad-spectrum control and a long-lasting protective residual. Tackle key diseases in corn, soybeans, wheat, peanuts, and sugar beets. Choose Lucento Fungicide from FMC. Visit your FMC retailer or lucento.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow label directions for use. If you're a student seeking a career in agriculture or just want to learn more about raising good crops, at AgPhD, we have some great news for you. On Saturday, June 26th, we're holding an AgPhD Young Farmers Field Day right here on our farm. In addition to providing great information, we'll be heading into the fields to show you the principles of agronomy and crop scouting firsthand. College scholarships will be available to eligible attendees, too. For more information and to register for the Young Farmers Field Day, visit agphd.com. 
Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Don't miss the Ag PhD Field Day this year. After postponing last season, we're back and better than ever, and we have a lot of catching up to do. With the latest in ag technologies on display in our plots, in-person sessions with the world's top farmers, and tons of entertainment, food, and more, it's a day you won't want to miss. Thursday, July 29th, right here on the Hefty Farm. For more information and to register for the Ag PhD Field Day, visit agphd.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag, taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Got one more tiling question that came in, Brian. This one came from Julian, who says, you talk about drainage tile, it sounds like a good deal. Just wondering, how much does it cost, and is it worth doing on your own? Do you, does it take a lot of acres to be able to justify that? Okay, so as far as what it costs, it really varies depending on how much pipe you're going to put in. So our suggestion would be talk to a pipe supplier or a tile supplier near you, to see what the costs are today for the different sizes. Most of the time, like on our phone, we start talking about $100 an acre to, on average, just to fix, let's say, some uh, low grounds and grounds where we've got uh, some rolling hills. Okay? And if we have relatively flat ground but still a little bit of roll, we might spend $500 an acre. If it's totally flat and we have to pattern tile everything on super heavy ground, we're probably going to spend $1,000 an acre or more, which sounds crazy. And you're like, wow, that's a lot of money. But it literally transforms the ground over a period of 10 to 20 years. Your soil will be so much healthier. You have more air in that soil. That's really the big thing. And because you have more air, that means that you have more soil life not just root growth, but microbes that are very beneficial as well. So I would take a look at that real hard and say, all right, how many acres do I have that are kind of suffering and, and, and do, do I want to do this or not? But in terms of do the job yourself, if it's a relatively easy job, like for us, we have a lot of rolling hills, and so we don't have to put in 15-inch, 20-inch main lines or anything. We need six-inch main lines, maybe eight-inch main lines, and they're all shallow, three feet, four feet deep, something like that. It's a piece of cake. So to run the machine yourself, super easy. 
And now with modern controls and RTK GPS, so you have sub-inch accuracy when you're putting those tire lines, easy job to do. Just takes a little bit of time, but not that much. We can put in three miles of tile in a day, super easy. So our, our, our really good days are putting in five miles worth of tile in a day, day with uh, three people doing the job. So I would take a look at that. But if you've never done anything and you're still not sure if tile is going to pay, I just try to find somebody locally that can get a little bit of the work done for you. Once you're convinced, oh, this is a good thing, uh, but I'm not 100% sure I can afford this myself, well, then do a little custom work. Uh, that's what we did when we first started going, too. We did some of our jobs, but then we did some jobs for a few neighbors, too, and that pays pretty fast. Thanks for the question, Julian. Really appreciate that. Got a micronutrient question from Brody who says, is there a method for reducing zinc if your zinc levels get way too high in the soil? You know, Brody, I, I don't know that there's necessarily one thing that's going to extract zinc out of the crop or out of the ground at a super high level compared to all other nutrients. But one thing that you can do if you get one nutrient that gets out of balance and gets too high is raise the levels of the other nutrients around. And also the, the real key thing here is to figure out, okay, why is the zinc level high? Was there a misapplication? Has there been an additive that you've been putting out in fields, for example, uh, municipal waste or something like that and you've been putting large rates of that out there and it's super high in zinc and now your zinc levels are or just astronomically high uh, you want to stop doing whatever's adding more zinc to the ground but the big one that we see with zinc on our farm is its relationship with phosphorus if we get our zinc crazy high and our phosphorus is not also crazy high we have a hard time getting phosphorus into our crop and that can be a real challenge Yep, I agree. All right, thanks for the question, Brody. We appreciate that. Yeah, every once in a while something something gets out of whack in the soil, and if you have a specific soil test you want us to look at and comment on, you can just send it to us, radio at agphd.com. Got this from Chris in Australia. Really enjoy listening to you guys talk. Two of the best guys talking about ag that I hear. Hey, Chris, thank you so much. We really appreciate that. And uh, glad glad you're catching our content down in Australia. Uh Got this one from Ahmet who said, you guys talk about late season options for spraying in cornfields. What do you think about Nicosulfuron or Accent Q at a V6 timing? Can it still be an effective method of controlling grass? Uh, two things. Number one, I don't like it because the corn's big. Now, granted, there's a safener in that, in that Accent Q. But the other thing is we've got to get coverage on the weed in order to control it. Well, how are you going to get coverage when the corn is that big? So a lot of times we start telling guys, yeah, if you want that stuff to work, you're going to have to switch to drop nozzles pretty darn quick. Maybe not at V6, but pretty shortly after that. And, you know, you mentioned something there with that corn safener, and there are a lot of generic versions of a lot of these pesticides that have been out since the 1990s. And when you look at the generic versions, that's often a differentiator with the name brand products if they develop a safener that they can put with the product. Because I don't believe the old version had that, Brian. So if there's a generic, it probably doesn't Correct. have that safener. So you would want to look for Accent Q Correct. versus the generics. Yep, for sure. 
Okay, uh, I got this one from Ross in southwest Wisconsin. He said, we've got 100 pounds of nitrogen we'd like to apply with Y-drops in the next two to three weeks at around the V10 growth stage. Like many, we've been very dry. We've had a couple of inches of rain total since planting is all. And a while back, I was listening to you talk about how in a very dry year, you could potentially use some foliar N as a rescue uh, that we could get into the plant. What do you think about that strategy? If so, have you used any foliar end products? Uh, hopefully we get some wetter weather and we don't have to do this. We're also planning on applying a fungicide over the row while we're wide dropping, and we could certainly add a foliar in there if you think that would work. Okay, so first of all, can foliar work? Absolutely it can, but the problem is you can't pump huge numbers of pounds in the foliar. I mean, you can if you do a little bit at a time, several different times. So I don't know how much rate we're talking about that you want to get out there, but I would say this, I'm perfectly fine with you. But here's what my suggestion oh, is. You cut out you there for just a second, Brian. You said you're perfect. You're per sure coming. Oh, Brian, Brian, you said Wait. you're perfectly fine doing what? You cut out there for just a second. Yeah, so you're 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 perfectly fine doing wide drops in a very dry year, but you're going to want to time that out right before rain. So if the forecast says, yeah, there's a 90% chance of rain tomorrow, and they're talking one to two inches, uh, then that's when I'm going to be going out right before then and getting all my nitrogen on, and then it'll be okay. So don't get too worried. But you just can't put that much on foliar to feed the crop if you still need 50 or 100 pounds. You can take care of 10 pounds or 30 pounds maybe, but you sure can't take care of a big chunk in one shot. You know, the other part of this question was the fungicide over the top of the row, and they've been dry, but around V10, getting fungicide out there. And we've been getting in a lot of these discussions with growers that say, you know, I've historically had an issue with gray leaf spot or northern corn leaf blight or whatever the disease may be. And I know I've got to be ahead of that with my fungicide application. So if you've got a decent looking crop, you still apply the fungicide and you hope that, you know what, I hope I don't have disease pressure this year. But if I do, this is my one shot to protect. And like at V10, you likely have the ear leaf exposed. You can get some protection on that. And you can also get down through that crop a little bit and get to some of those lower leaves at V10. So we're seeing a lot of, a lot of farmers putting fungicide out at that point. Just be cautious if you're mixing anything else with it about what kind of surfactants. Make sure they're NPE, APE free so you don't have any kind of arrested ear issues or things like that. The fungicides themselves, safe to apply at that stage, no problem there. Just be real cautious what types of additives you have. And then, of course, if you do some foliar end with that too, you really need to be cautious what additives you're putting because you don't want to heat things up too much when you get fertilizer in there as well at that sensitive growth stage. Thanks for the yeah, question. It's really oh. hard because to, yeah, to safe and fertilize, you want to put more water with it, but that's not going to help you necessarily with the fungicide. I mean, I'm, I'm, all I'm getting at is if you start putting 30 gallons of total solution in, that's too much for fungicide. Yep. Yeah. Lots of things to think about there, Ross. And I guess part of your, part of your uh, question and comments there were, if we get some rain, we may not have to go this route and may not be worried about it. So hopefully we do. Hopefully we get some rain that comes through and, and that makes those decisions a lot easier. Thanks again for the question, Ross. Really appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening today. We really appreciate it. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.